Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 25 today, it is the 3rd of March 22, and today we are thinking about why democracy matters. So today we are looking at an important topic, which is that of democracy. It's kind of funny, actually, I never ever thought that in my lifetime I would need to be uh, defending democracy. But I think that's where we are in our society at the moment. Democracy uh, actually needs to be defended. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a a brief look at what the problems are with democracy and then um, think about what the roots of democracy are, why it's important, why it matters. And I hope that that will be a really helpful thing uh, for us to to think about. Uh, But before we get on to that, as always, just going to start with one or two um, links and things which I found interesting over the past couple of days. Um, The first thing is just for a bit of fun. um, I noticed there was um, an article from uh, Titania McGrath um, and um, it's called I Shall Not Cease from Re-Education, A Lesson in Compassion, Intelligence and Humility. This is, um, if you're not aware of um, of him or her, uh, Titania McGrath is the alter ego of the comedian Andrew Doyle, and is you know the sort of the embodiment of the woke social justice warrior um, kind of culture, but uh, in parody form, and it's absolutely uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, for example, let me just read you a little excerpt from the article. I have always been socially and politically aware. As a baby, my first words were. Seize the means of production. Minority groups adore me because I am brave enough to stand up for their rights even when they don't know what's best for themselves. I think that's brilliant and uh, I think it sort of gets to the heart of a lot of the problems with the woke. Um, I think think parodies can sometimes speak more truth actually than, um, you know, be a good way of conveying it. So I do have a look at that. Links will be down below, by the way. Um, The other thing which I wanted to mention is... Uh, Dr. Malcolm Kendrick, who wrote an article about vaccination, about the COVID vaccines and silencing doctors in the UK and about how doctors effectively dissent from um, COVID orthodoxy when it comes to, well, in general, but particularly when it comes to the vaccinations is being suppressed. And if you have views which are you're just asking questions of the vaccines and how effective they are how safe they are and so on then you are being silenced and uh, what really struck me was um i'll just read you out um, a paragraph here so he talks about the the responsible officer um which is a doctor who kind of oversees the um uh you know um these sort of complaints and and um you know uh auditing and so on every every few years and he says in truth i have always known that responsible officers possess this amazing and unrestrained power i tried and failed to stop this happening years ago when i was on various british medical association committees i found it incredible that the legislation in this area was going to hand over to one individual the ability to destroy someone's career with no regard to anyone else or anything else yes we live in a democracy that has created a form of local tyranny. I was really struck by that. Uh, we live in a democracy that has created a form of local tyranny. That, in this case, the responsible officer has got far too much power. But what interested me about this was that you can see that happening in all sorts of areas. That, you know, you can't have 
democracy about absolutely everything that uh, you know schools for example or churches or in other organizations clubs societies you know they will have power for one individual and it's it's just the way that it works you know that it, it, it means you can get things done but at the same time it means that one person can have far too much power and I mean personally I think in the Church of England the bishops have got far too much power and too little accountability in fact actually I read on Twitter yesterday that of the bishops accused of abuse since I think 2003 not one of them has actually had um, you know um, sanctions or kind of you know complaints upheld I think something like that so you know bishops really do um, are a bit like this as well local tyranny it can be and it just depends on the person um, there's no kind of you know and it made me think actually this is why democracy is so important because if you're democratic from the top top then it means that you know local um I think more local places then kind of um, take, the, take those values on. You know, that if you set the value of democracy in a society, then hopefully it will cascade down and, you know, people will um, see the value in it and actually want, you know, well, stuff that will come on to. But this is, uh, yeah, that, that made me think, you know, that when the top is tyrannical, then it flows down into the individual organizations as well and it just you know again i think having the right leadership in a society is really important because when the leadership is wrong then actually the there can be problems and you know tyrannical leadership at the top um, begets tyrannical leadership in local smaller situations like this so that's why it's important to be thinking about democracy and leadership at a time like this so with all that said, let's move on then to think about why democracy matters. OK, so let's look at why democracy matters. And um, just to say, by the way, I am trying to record this in a slightly different way. So I hope that if you're watching this on YouTube, it's OK. Um, I think that the video and the audio don't synchronise perfectly, but I hope that it's good enough and that it's not too annoying. Um, let me know anyway um, if it's uh, if it's OK. So why democracy matters? Like I said, I never thought that in my lifetime I would be needing to to explain to people why uh, why democracy is important. You know, I always thought that democracy was something that's self-evidently um, true, or, or or at least self-evidently, you know, um, a, a valuable thing. I say not true, but self-evidently a good thing. But apparently that is not the case anymore. So if I flip over to the uh, to the next slide here, uh, Frank Ferradi, who I think I've mentioned before on um, uh, on the, the podcast and uh, in in videos and things, um, I like I like um, his his writing, and he has written a book recently called uh, Democracy Under Siege. I think this was um, published in 2020, and he's written an article. On spiked, uh, it was on in October 2020, called "Democracy Besieged," and I put the link uh, there, and I'll put the link down in the description below if you'd like to have a read of it. But let me just quote you um, some of that article just to explain where we are with democracy at the moment. 
Virtually every take on democracy today expresses reservations about it. Environmental campaigners claim that democracy works far too slowly to be able to deal with the climate emergency. Opponents of Brexit openly argue that, yes, there is such a thing as too much democracy. And others unashamedly declare, as the Financial Times' Janin Ganesh does, that democracy works better when there is less of it. American economist Garrett Jones is at least honest in expressing his disdain for voters. In his 10% Less Democracy, Why You Should Trust Elites a Little More and the Masses a Little Less, he argues for a modest contraction of democratic accountability on the grounds that it would allow experts the freedom to get on with deciding what is in our best interests. Jones's unabashed elitism is all too common among academics, commentators and the broader leadership class. In the heart of hearts, they really do believe that ordinary citizens are their moral inferiors. Contempt for the people who fail to vote in accordance with their betters' wishes is one of the main drivers of elite hostility towards democracy today. Okay, now that is pretty hard-hitting, isn't it? Um, But I think he's on the money there. That uh, so much of the time, over the last few years, democracy has been seen actually to be an an impediment to what um, the, the government, what the elites are trying to do. Um, climate change he mentioned and you think yeah we you know this is a climate crisis as they keep calling it now so we need to um we need to act and we don't need this pe- those pesky you know um democrat democratically elected governments to do it we need sort of more authoritarian governments who can really get on with doing it uh, similarly when it came to to brexit this is something that i very much noticed um over after the uh, the 2016 referendum um, the scorn poured on people who voted for Brexit for voting the wrong way. I remember listening to the QI No Such Thing as a Fish podcast, um, and I remember they just made a, a, a throwaway comment that, you know, it was a, re- a live recording, and they said, you know, when you give people a referendum, they vote the wrong way. And it was it was just kind of said, and people laughed. And I just thought, you know, again, it's this scorn on people that, yeah, democracy is okay, but only if it delivers the right results for the people in charge. And that's not really democracy at all, as we will come on to. Uh, so one more quote here from um, Frank Ferrady. Um, is democracy a means to an end? So this is what he says. Uh, Since that night in Amsterdam, I have frequently encountered the claim that democracy is a means to an end, rather than an important value in and of itself. The prevalence of such an instrumental view of democracy is not surprising, given the shallowness of its normative foundation. Democracy today is simply not valued in and of itself. Rather, it is valued only as a process in the main for the election of representatives, and even then only if it delivers the right results. If the wrong people are elected, then democracy, valued only as means for the election of the right people, loses what instrumental value it had. In this, its procedural version, democracy possesses no inherent value. So what he says is that democracy is now seen as a tool, an instrument for delivering the right results. So democracy is something which, you know, the elites kind of pay some kind of lip service to because, yeah, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, appear to be democratic. But actually, in reality, then it's only just the 
the means to an end. You know, that's the only important thing about it. We're only meant to be to be getting um, getting the results that we want. And so this is this is the problem with democracy at the moment, that it's not valued for what it is. It's only valued in terms of them getting what they think they want out of the process. And it seems like a lot of young people are unhappy with democracy. So research by Cambridge University um, a few months ago, and I will say, by the way, just for a bit of a laugh, I did a, um, a Google about this, Google search about, you know, or DuckDuckGo, you know, whatever, about um, uh, young people and democracy. And it came up with this. This was actually found via the World Economic Forum website. And I just really had to laugh about that. Anyway, um, and uh, yeah, there uh, you can see on the graph, if you're looking at this on YouTube, um, that Generation X and Millennials, um, both their, their satisfaction with democracy has decreased substantially over the last few years and um and that's that's what's happened now the world economic forum say that this is because of economic factors for example that young people uh, who are unable to get on the property ladder now unable to own their own home you know it's it's not working for them in the way that it was for the the baby boomers for example which i think there's a that's a good um you know that is a good certainly a valid point uh, at the same time, I think there is more going on. Uh, like I think with Brexit, for example, um, I think a lot of younger people are uh, see Brexit as being, you know, catastrophic somehow um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, but it's not because of to do with them owning their own home per se. I think the economic considerations are there. Um, anyway, it's, it's it's a complicated thing. But younger people are definitely a lot less happy with democracy than older folk and that's a very worrying trend so we need to be we need to be proclaiming we need to be teaching on the value of democracy why it's so important so how did democracy come about people often think that democracy was a greek invention and certainly the Greeks did have, the ancient Greeks did have a kind of democracy. But actually, as Tom Holland explains in his book Dominion, modern Western liberal-style democracies are the fruit of Christianity. So let me read a quote from Tom Holland's book from Dominion. Far more than anything written by Spinoza or Voltaire, it was New England that had provided the American Republic with its model of democracy and Pennsylvania with its model of toleration. That all men had been created equal and endowed with an inalienable right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness were not remotely self-evident truths. That most Americans believed they were owed less to philosophy than to the Bible. To the assurance given equally to Christians and Jews, to Protestants and Catholics, to Calvinists and Quakers, that every human being was created in God's image the truest and ultimate seedbed of the American Republic, no matter what some of those who had composed its founding documents might have cared to think, was the book of Genesis. Isn't that interesting, what Tom Holland says in Dominion, that at the end of the day, it's not philosophy which led to the birth of in America, you know, the American-style democracy, but it was actually the Bible. 
and the idea that all men are created equal, as it says in the in the Constitution. And so this idea that, you know, that one man, one vote or one woman, one vote, you know, that this idea is actually a Christian idea. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about that, because um, I think, you know, it'll help us to build up a picture of perhaps what democracy should be like, what the idea behind democracy actually is. So let's look at the biblical roots of uh, democracy. And the first thing is that everybody matters. And this is a verse from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I know that this is a verse which I've mentioned several times, but really this is foundational for, uh, well, for our society. This is absolutely fundamental to the way that our society operates, that Western society operates. The idea that all people are created equal. As Tom Holland says, that is not a, a self-evidently true value. It's a value which is found in sort of post-Christendom civilizations. It's a Christian idea. You don't find that idea in the same way in China, for example. I remember uh, reading a quote from uh, someone in Chinese government saying, you know, that's the difference between you Westerners and, and us as Chinese, that, you know, to, to us, a person is just an ant, but to you, it's, you know, they're a child of God. And I think that is such a fundamental thing that you know, we have to affirm the value in every single human life. That's the point. You know, our society exists to, so that everyone may have value. And if this teaching is ditched, if we ditch um, you know, the, the fact that everybody matters, that everybody is made in the image of God, then we end up in a society maybe like China's where human rights are not respected and and so on. Now what does this mean in terms of democracy? What this means is that a society should not be run for the benefit of a small group of elites or a small group of people, but it should be run for the benefit of everybody. Because everybody has uh, lives there. You know, um, that, you know, in, if you look at a country, for example, it should be, you know, anyone should be able to live there and flourish doing what, what they want to do, you know, to, to secure our freedom, I suppose, as God's image bearers. And that's why it's so important to, to have this teaching uh, affirmed so that we, uh, we may live free lives, so that uh, we may have a say in what, you know, how the country is run. And so when it comes to democracy, that's why over the years that more people have got the vote until now, everybody has the vote. And someone who's rich, like, for example, um, Richard Branson, think about him, a millionaire, billionaire, um, has the same vote as the person who cleans his, his toilet. That at the end of the day, one person, one vote. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the rich person has um, less influence that you know people who are rich still have, carry more influence in other ways but I think the idea is a good one that the person who cleans Richard Branson's toilets uh, 
has, should have a say in how their country is run because they have a stake in it you know because they have value because they're made in god's image and the country should be run with them in mind as much as the richard bransons of the world so you know a country um, should be and politics should be about the benefit of everyone i think our local council has the has the motto pro bono omnium which means for the good of all and i think that's a good motto and that's one which we would do well to listen to as a country actually that it should be for everyone's benefit and good uh, not just for a small group of uh, of elites so that's that's the first thing the second thing um in terms of the biblical roots is in terms of servant leadership um so let me read you again a quote from um the, from the bible this is from mark chapter 10 verses 42 to 45 jesus called them together and said you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the government is there to serve. And I think we saw a few um, weeks ago, we were looking at Francis Schaeffer's book, A Christian Manifesto, how uh, every human authority is delegated authority. You know, it's delegated from God and it carries responsibilities as to how it um, executes that authority. And we know from what Jesus says that to be a leader among men is not to lord it over those you know your your subjects not to lord it over them but to exercise your authority to serve them i think the queen you know god bless her i think the queen really gets that and what did she say i think this is a speech she made you know my life will be dedicated to your service and and i i think my my respect for the queen is immense you know she's servant-hearted to the end and I think she really gets that she's there as a servant of the people. She's not there to lord it over us. And you think, if you know, if you take the queen for granted, just think about how most most rulers and kings have been over the centuries. You know that she is really an exception to to the rule, and a wonderful exception. So, um, yeah. So to be a leader in the biblical sense is to serve and that's why ministers are called ministers government ministers a minister is a servant that's what the word means so um, a minister is a servant in in politics in parliament and they are there to serve people there's a website called uh, they work for you where you can write to your mp and that's what mps should be doing you know the the mps should be there as democratically elected and accountable they should be um putting forward the views of the people that they serve and ser and working for their best interests and that's something i know a lot of mps do um do very hard work for their constituencies um and um i'm uh you know our own um, mp here has i know stood up for for this area in in parliament and that's and that's really good um although i do have some disagreements with him but you know this is the thing you know you're there to serve as a leader and whether that be in parliament or whether that be elsewhere you're there to serve 
So how does this relate to democracy? Well, let's just move on to the last thing, which is um, sin and corruption. As Lord Acton once observed famously, all power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's what, as Christians, we should expect. Uh, this is what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That there isn't one perfect person who um, are on the, on the planet. You know, but that all of us are flawed and all of us are sinful. And so all of us have a tendency to, to misuse the gifts that God has given us and to act selfishly rather than for the benefit of others. Now, this is something which obviously on a personal level is true, but I think it, it kind of doubles, if you like, or that the stakes are higher when you come to power, as Lord Acton observed, because when you're in power, then you have the opportunity to line your own nest and and at the expense of other people. And this is, you know, sin, I guess, is, is a particular temptation for those in power. And this is why we need democratic checks on people in power, which is because it's very easy when you're in power for that power to go to your head and for you to start making decisions which benefit you and your friends, but do not benefit the people in the country who really need it. This is why, for example, over the last few weeks i read an article um by matt ridley i think earlier this week about how russian money had been used to sponsor green um green initiatives against fracking and how they wanted to keep the west dependent on uh, russian gas now whatever you think about that it does seem to me that the decision to ban fracking was certainly a dubious one not based on you know what was actually best for the people of the country but you know what what um, about lobbying and so on and it certainly seems you know you could look at all sorts of issues like that where the government make decisions to benefit like climate change is one example but other things too um, think about what happened with the lockdowns as well with the purchasing you know contracts going to government ministers friends and and so on and this is how it works. And this is why we need some kind of democratic accountability, because the people at the top, we, you know, we must expect the people at the top not to use their power for the benefit of the people. But we must expect them to actually, you know, misuse it, really. It's about saying, you know, not saying, I, I suppose, you know, I think you're all terrible, but that, you know, if if someone goes awry, if someone goes off the rails, then they can be hauled back with democracy. They can be removed and the people can say, no, you're not acting in our best interests. Here are the brakes. You know, we'll pull you back to what is what we want you to be doing. Um, so that's something that's really important. Now, um, let's just look at one quick case study very briefly. I've talked about how um, the biblical 
understanding kind of led to uh, led to democracy and i mentioned tom holland now is that borne out by the evidence in history and one thing which i think is is very interesting is if looking at the parallels between what's happening now and what happened at the reformation uh william tyndale he was um one of the um well it's a little bit prior to the reformation but he translated the bible into english and uh, he was persecuted for doing so. And uh, there's a quote of his, and he was he's a hero of mine. This is one of my absolute favourite of, of his quotes. I defy the Pope and all his laws, and if God spares my life, ere many years, I will cause the boy that driveth the plough to know more of the Scriptures than thou dost. I think that's brilliant. You know, I will cause the boy that driveth the plough to know more of the Scriptures than thou dost. And this is what the reformers were trying to do at the Reformation. It's, if you like, the democratisation of knowledge. It's saying that knowledge should not belong to an elite class because then that knowledge can be used to manipulate and to, and to you know, um, fearmonger and all, I mean, lots of bad things. And what, what they were doing at the Reformation is that they got the Bible into the hands of ordinary people. And there are some wonderful stories. Um, for example, uh, um, Mike Reeves did a series of lectures on the uh, on the Reformation, and uh, it was available on the Christian Institute website. I don't think it's available anymore. But he told a story where in St Paul's Cathedral at the, the time of the Reformation, they were trying to have a service, but I think there were six English Bibles, and people were just um, reading out the Bibles, and everyone was sort of crowding round, just trying to hear the words of the Bible being read in English so that they could understand it. And I think it's hard for us to imagine, actually, just how how much of a difference that made. You know, that the, the Bible was not in Latin anymore. It was in the language of the common people in the vernacular. And think about what kind of a difference it must have been to actually read, you know, the, the words of the Bible in your own language, in your own heart language, and understand it and not have it mediated through the you know, this kind of priestly class uh, who would tell you what it meant and could use it to benefit themselves. And you know this is this is what the reformers are trying to do the democratization of knowledge. And I think we need um something a bit like that. I mean obviously this was with respect to the bible. I I wonder if we need something like this when it comes to science as well. Just to say, you know science is not the preserve of the elites, but you know you can use your common sense as well. You can think and you can, you know, question and you know, the ordinary people do science. It's not just a specialist um, class. It's not a professionalisation thing. But you know, ordinary people can can think about the world and can come to conclusions, which is how science started. You know, you didn't have the a professional class of scientists to begin with. That's something that's only come really through, I think, through the 19th, 20th centuries. Um, so, yeah, the democratisation of knowledge, I think that's something that we need um, now. So how can we kind of put this into practice? Um, one of the things I, I like, that Tony Benn, the late MP, he had five questions, five democracy questions, which he used to, um, to, to use all the time, which, is, which are, what power have you got? Where did you get it from? In whose interest do you use it? To whom are you accountable? And how do we get rid of you? Now, I think those are key questions, actually. Those are really good questions. Thinking about what power do people have? 
Now, where does it come from? Uh, whose interest is it used for? Who are you accountable to? How do we get rid of you? Those are really good questions. And I, I would like to see all politicians asked those questions. And particularly, I think we need that about the unelected bodies as well, such as the um, the World Health Organization, um, the World Economic Forum, of course, and others who who influence public policy so much that I think you know we need this kind of d- democracy when it applies to to things which have so much influence on our lives and even science. You know that actually, you know, this is not about you know what is true or not, but in terms of how we actually go about dealing with these problems if this is what the you know science is saying then how do we go about dealing with that that should be an open question as well a democratic question not one where you know the government for example want to impose a net zero agenda um just kind of impose it unilaterally without people understanding what the costs are what the benefits are and and so on so i think these questions are good questions and they're questions which um as a as a society we should be asking more and i wish people would ask these questions more when it comes to um particularly you know things like the media and these other bodies which um which influence us so much so finally then the summary so let's summarize where we've got to um the firstly we should care about everybody's welfare because everyone is made in god's image so everyone is um, belongs in a society that from the least to the greatest and that society should strive to work for the good of everyone. I know that some people will always slip through the cracks. You know, you can't accomplish everything, but we need to make sure that a country is working for the benefit of everyone who lives in it, not just a few particular groups, i.e. the rich. Secondly, Politics should be about trying to do what's best for everybody. That's the thing that you know politicians should be trying and listening to everybody's opinion, not just people who are well connected, not just people who have particular agendas. I think about an issue like um, immigration, for example. I know that's been a hot button issue, but why is it that there seems to be such a big disconnect between what a lot of you know um, ordinary working class people think about immigration to what politicians think about immigration and graduates you know that this is this is the problem that um, there's a big disconnect there and we need to be listening to everyone rather than just prioritizing one group or thinking oh that that group they're just a bunch of you know racists or something i think some people really do think that like we saw at the beginning um thirdly politicians are not there to lord it over people but serve them um I think politicians are our servants and they need to remember that. And not just politicians, but those who exercise power in a different kind of a way as well. Thinking again about, for example, the World Health Organization. You know, they're not there to, to be authoritarian, but they're there to serve. And they need to serve in the best way, in a humble way. I think we need more of that kind of attitude in all of our institutions, not just government. And fourthly and finally... Because of human sinfulness, those in power need some kind of of restraining power, i.e. democracy. So I'm not here suggesting that um, democracy is the only way of achieving that. 
but it seems to be a very good way when it comes to government that you know the if a government start acting not in the benefit of its own citizens, the citizens of that country can say, can rise up and say, no, you're not acting in our interest here. We do not want this. We want something different. Of course, no system is going to be perfect. And part of the problem, actually, with the lockdowns over the last couple of years is, you know, almost everything has failed. All of our institutions, the judiciary, um, for example, have really failed to uphold our basic liberties. Um and this is something which has, has been a, it's just been a catastrophic failure, I think, in all of our institutions. And that's something that you can't, democracy can't solve. Uh, another problem, of course, and I, I want to come on to this next week, is how democracy can be subverted by the people in power. And um, we'll come on to that. Uh, but I, you know, the, the idea that the people in charge, whoever they are, whoever they may be, the people exercising influence, might not be acting in our best interests, that it's good to have some kind of break on that. And I think at the minimum, you know, the vote to actually be able to vote out people, to to be able to, to say, no, I don't think you're acting in our best interests here. I think that's a really fundamental thing and that's worth defending. So as we come to the end, let's finish with a, a reflection from the Bible. And the passage that I want to read today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, now, one of the things which I have felt quite a bit over the last few years, and maybe those of you who are listening to this or watching this can identify with, is that you've been the awkward one, or I've been the awkward one, if you like. You know, so you just perhaps had this experience where if you're discussing what's going on with church leaders or with you know fellow christians perhaps or with you know just in general that you know because you hold views which have been skeptical of the lockdowns then you're the awkward one because you're not buying into it all and you're the one causing disunity you're the one causing trouble i felt that over the last few years and I think to an extent being made to feel that um, probably mostly it's just a feeling you know that I felt myself with a bit of being made to feel that as well um, over the, the past few months you know you're not a team player you know you're you're the one causing problems you're the one causing um, causing disunity and unity is a big and important thing in in the bible in the church you know the church should be united and, you know, that we know that there are all sorts of problems in the church, um, but unity is something that we should be aiming for, that we should be striving for. And if you feel like you're the one causing the disunity, then it, you know, it's not pleasant. It's really not pleasant. And it feels like you're doing the wrong thing. And it's with that in mind that I wanted to look at this passage. Um, we've been looking at unity, uh, these these passages from 1 Corinthians in church over the past couple of weeks. And um, I just had a thought about it last week. So let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses um, 18 to 23. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, 
the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So, uh, particularly at thinking about that first little bit there, that what what comes across very clearly in this opening section of 1 Corinthians is the the tension, the antithesis between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And you can see it in this passage here. He says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And he gives a couple of quotes there from um, from the Old Testament. He catches the wise in their craftiness and the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So the wisdom of this world is not really wisdom in God's in God's ways. And it, it made me think, you know, that over the last couple of years, when churches have been effectively proclaiming the world's wisdom, you know, stay apart, stay two metres distance, wear a mask, stay safe, all of those kind of things. It's like we're proclaiming the world's wisdom without without thinking about it. And that's been the problem, isn't it? It seems to me that the, the problem with division and disunity has been caused by churches embracing worldly wisdom rather than focusing on godly wisdom and rather than just seeking to do and to live in the way that God would have us live and the wisdom of the cross in fact as, as Paul puts it and this is uh, this is the, th- the way that I see it that unity needs to be based on the truth and that part of the problem is that the church has actually gone got too secularized and has taken on a kind of secular wisdom and secular values and that is what is actually causing the disunity and so i hope that this is something which is an encouragement to you perhaps if you felt as i have that you you've not been a team player that you're causing problems that you're causing disunity and all of that actually that um it's it's actually that those who have gone down this secular wisdom road uh, the path of even lies i think who are who are causing the disunity and that we need to come back and base our unity as a church on the rock of christ and on his truth and um, and that's that's when real unity can be built not on not on human wisdom but on godly wisdom and um, so that was just a little reflection there. And I hope that you find that helpful if you think as I do. Well, let's uh, take a moment now to pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would help us as um, as individuals and as a church, thinking about democracy, thinking about leadership, uh, to uh, exercise the, the power that you've given us rightly to always be thinking about the good of all and to be thinking about how we can serve as we as we uh, uh, maybe are in some leadership position, positions. And we pray, Lord, that throughout our country, throughout our nation and throughout the world, that this attitude would prevail, that our leaders would be able to serve with accountability and would know ultimately that they are accountable to you for the way that they uh, that they lead. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us Uh, as individuals and as a church to base our lives on the rock of the teaching of Jesus Christ 
and to look to you uh, for unity. And we pray, Lord, that as a church, you would help us to be united around the truth and uh, the message of the cross, not uh, not worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom. I just pray your blessing upon upon each one of us today, Lord, all of those are watching and listening to this and pray that you would help us now uh, to trust you this week in Jesus's name. Amen. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. Um, don't forget to uh, like, subscribe if you're on YouTube. And there is, if you'd like to express your uh, financial uh, appreciation in a financial way, there's a buy me a coffee link as well. And that will be down below. And I really do uh, appreciate that, too. So thanks so much, everyone. Um, I really appreciate you joining me. I hope that you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think in the comments below on YouTube or do join in the chat on Telegram or you can message me. It's sacredmusingspod at gmail.com and you can email through to, to me there. So I hope to see you again soon uh, next week. And in the meantime, God bless. <laughs>